If you have your Bibles, please open to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, and um, it's good to see some of you back. I know we've had people, um, if you don't know this about me, I really enjoy sports. So last week we had a lot of people on the injured reserve COVID list, and so we have half people back, and it looks like we have half the other people gone this week. Eventually we'll have everybody back. Um, and I just want to kind of let you know, if you are feeling cold, feel free to come up, stand next to the fire. You won't disturb anybody. There is fresh batch of hot water for hot chocolate and coffee over here. Or if you need to climb in your car, you can listen on 87.7 on your radio as well. Last week, we talked about the mission of God. How do we know what the mission of God is and how do we partner with him? God is always demonstrating his power by using sinners like you and I to do his work for his glory, demonstrating just how powerful and gracious and merciful and loving and forgiving of a God he really is. And we looked at Jonah and the continual opportunities, the continual grace that God kept showing to Jonah over and over and over again to join him, partner with what God was doing in Nineveh. And so tonight we're going to kind of, as we hone in this month, uh, as we've been going through Matthew, the series we're calling Your Kingdom Come, we wanted to take this month and kind of refocus. You see, if I had all of us go out into the soccer field And I gave everybody, or Ryan gave everybody an air rifle gun. And I said, okay, everybody, we're going to do some target practice, and I want everybody to shoot for the bullseye on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three, and everybody shoots. And I'm like, wow, none of you hit the bullseye. Your response would be, Rob, you never put targets up. And so my bullseye was that knot on the tree, and I did hit it. And somebody else, well, I was aiming for that that fire ant hill, and, and I did hit it. And we all have different bullseyes that we shoot for. And unfortunately, in a lot of instances, that's kind of our approach to church, is we all have different preconceived ideas and notions and things that we want, and so we go at the, the, what a church is based completely on what we're naming something, not necessarily looking at what does God want. So this evening, I want to talk about God's mission for the church. God's mission for the church. Last week we said God's mission is that in 2 Peter 2, 9, that, or 3, 9, that all men, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone would come to repentance, that everyone would know him. And in Revelation we'll see that people, every tongue, nation, and tribe will, will come together and worship him. And we're called to build God's kingdom here. And so first and most importantly, and I think hopefully all of us can agree that the most important thing about the church is to demonstrate who Christ is. Now there has been roughly 14,000 books written in the last two years of what church is supposed to be. I made that number up. I actually don't know. But everywhere you go, there's a new book coming out. And I've been reading several of them as we've been preparing for this series and just this last week. And you'll read and you're like, wow, that's really good. And I remember one day I was driving home and I thought, oh, wait, that only works in America or that only works in the westernized world. What they're saying church should look like, over half the world can't do it that way. And so how do we approach the church in a big picture? How do we find this, these universal truths of what the church is? And that's why, uh, for me, I've learned to not be so wrapped up in what other churches are doing. If they're going against Scripture, yes, that's a, that's a big deal. But 
God has called different people, God has called different human beings to go about things differently. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, who was a pastor in the early 1900s in Britain, said, The church of God, apart from the person of Christ, is a useless structure. However ornate it may be in its organization, however perfect in all its arrangements, however rich and increased with goods, if the church is not revealing the person, meaning the Christ, lifting him to the height where all men can see him, then the church becomes an impertinence and a sham, a blasphemy and a fraud, and the sooner the world is rid of it, the better. You see, God's strategy for building his kingdom is his church. God's strategy for building his kingdom is his church. And we know from 1 Corinthians 3, and by the way, I'm going to be jumping through a lot of passages. I encourage you to write them down or uh, type them out in your, however you take notes. In 1 Corinthians 3, we see that Christ is the cornerstone. As we were preparing for Christmas in uh, Psalm 118 on Christmas Eve, when we said that the builders rejected the cornerstone, that Jesus was the cornerstone and Jesus is the perfect, that at, when you're building a structure, you need the foundation is going to set everything else in its place, that Jesus is that perfect cornerstone and everything else can fall into place when they are reliant on the foundation of the church, which is Jesus Christ. Without a foundation built on the rock, it falls apart. So Christ is the cornerstone for this church. Jesus is the foundation of the church, but the church is called three different things, and this is what we're going to look at tonight. There's three different things that are used uh, several times throughout the New Testament, and that is the church is one, the bride of Christ. Number two, the church is called the body of Christ. And number three, the church is called the family of God. The bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the family of God. Those are your three points for tonight. You see, everything we do should point to Jesus, not ourselves, not to the name of our church, but everything should be pointed to Jesus. Everything we do must be to help people understand that only Jesus, his love, and the salvation that he alone offers because of his life, death, and resurrection, only that can save people from their sins. That Jesus defeated sin and death, and because he did that, when we make Jesus the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, behold, we are a new creation. That we can follow the perfect head of the church. So dive with me, if you will. And by the way, the bride, the body, and the family. If there's three things that you talk bad about me, we will no longer be as good of friends. Don't talk bad about my bride. I heard somebody say, a friend who doesn't like my wife won't be a friend for very long. A friend who only talks bad about my wife is not really a friend. If you talk about my bride, if you talk about my body, if you talk about my family, we're going to have some issues. We're going to have a deep discussion. And so number one, the church is the bride of Christ. Hopefully you're in Ephesians chapter 5. And before we read this passage, I want to point out verse 32. It says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Uh, Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he's giving them orders for how they conduct their household. And here he's talking about a relationship between a, a husband and wife, but he wants to point out that the bigger picture of this is the Jesus and his bride, the church. So starting in verse chapter 5, verse 21. 
He writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here's this picture, and I don't know, almost most of the weddings I do, they ask me to use this passage, and it's fine. But again, this is about Christ and the church. It's a beautiful picture of how Christ has given his life, that he lived, died, rose again for his bride, the church, that there is this incredible perfect, everlasting love for his bride. And we as the church are to demonstrate this respect and love back to this bridegroom who did everything for us. If you spend any time, you may know that one of my frustrations is uh, people who just go around and call themselves Christians but then make money off of bashing the church. I love this quote from C.H. Spurgeon, and I've used it before. C.H. Spurgeon, again, a pastor in England in the 1800s, he said, The church is not perfect, but woe to the man who finds pleasure in pointing out her imperfections. Christ loved his church, and let us do the same. I have no doubt that the Lord can see more fault in his church than I can, and I have equal confidence that he sees no fault at all, because he covers her faults with his own love, that love which covers a multitude of sins, and he removes all her defilement with that precious blood which washes away all the transgressions of his people. So as the bride of Christ, we must understand that each one of us has faults and imperfections. But because of that, we can also see the incredible love that Jesus has for his church. That that should teach us how we serve differently. That that should teach us how we interact with our community. That we are inviting them in to understand this forgiveness, this, this love, this joy, this peace that only Jesus Christ can offer because of what he accomplished on the cross and the empty grave. There's so much more. And by the way, this is not a uh, deep dive and an, an exhaustive study on the church these are just the points that I think we have to start from as we move forward. I love talking about this, and I'd be more than happy to have more and more conversations. But number one, the church is the bride of Christ, this undying love that Christ demonstrated how we should love our, each other in a marriage relationship. Number two, the church is the body of Christ. And there's many passages, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Ro, uh, Will read Romans 12 to begin, but I want to take you to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we see how, uh, we, we see how Paul kind of says this. Now, a lot of these are interchangeable. You're going to see the body, family, um, bride interchanged in a lot of these passages. But read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 
12, the beginning part of this passage, the first 11 verses, is he's going through the different gifts that, that Jesus has made available to those who, who trust him, to those that make him the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. And as he finishes talking about these different um, gifts that people have, he then goes and he talks about unity and, and diversity in the body of Christ, starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need to no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Next week, we're going to go into a further look. We started with this is the mission of God. Now we're looking at what this is the mission of God's mission for the church. Next week, we're going to look at what is your individual and how do you act as an individual with your giftings, talents, and abilities, and how do you act as a part of this bride, this body, this family of God. But something that we see is that uh, the, the church should be diversity in its truest form. It should be diverse of, of ages, of, of race, of abilities, of social representation, of well, where they fit in society, of their uh, financial. It should be a diverse place where everyone can come and feel the love that can only be offered by those who know Christ. It should be a place that is full of unity and not uniformity. Uniformity is we all think the same, we all act the same, we all look the same, we all vote the same. But unity is a bunch of people from different backgrounds and different places and different countries and different age ranges and different generations. And we all come together and, and agree that we worship the same Lord. Just as the bride of Christ sees Christ as the head of the relationship, so the body sees Jesus as the head, the brain. He's the one that is telling the body what to do so that it can function so that it can do everything properly. I remember several years ago, there was a athlete, a uh, female athlete, and she had some very strange virus. In her whole life, she had been a competitor. Um, and she had a weird virus that affected her brain and her spinal cord. And so there was functions that she could do. She could still run in a straight line as a competitor would, 
But when she would stop running, her body couldn't figure out what to do, and her hands and her arms and her legs would all kind of start doing their own thing. And she couldn't really walk in, a, in a, any kind of a line. And I remember somebody showing this to me because it almost seemed like she was making it up because of how odd it looked. But I remember thinking, unfortunately, that's how so often we function as the church. That's how so often we function as the body of Christ as our, the, the signals are getting very mixed up. We're wanting to put our own agenda in. We're a, we're a foot that wants to act like a hand and we're an eye that wants to act like a foot and we're all over the place. I'm excited for this year as we are um, looking at what do we do this year? What is going to set this year? What is our goals for this year? And uh, one of them is helping the people in our church know what their gifting and abilities are. And pouring into them, pouring into uh, our staff, but also how do we collaborate with other churches in our community or around the world? How do we do more together? Because it's not just about uh, the name on our church signpost. It's about the universal church. How do all of us come together as one, as the body of Christ and affect our community with the good news of Jesus Christ? How do we demonstrate love to, to our community? How do we demonstrate who we are as the body of Christ in a unified fashion. Wayne Mack, one of my favorite authors, writes, I believe that one major reason that the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States is very close to being in sheer chaos today is because so many people think themselves as individuals rather than as part of the body of Christ. Christianity is not every man for himself. It's every man together for Christ. How do we function as a body? How do we come together? And uh, unfortunately, part of our human nature is we want to exclude people. We like this group, but we don't like that group. I had a conversation this last week with somebody, uh, and this has happened many times, and they'll say, well, I, I kind of gave up on church, but like, I get together with this, and they'll tell me this limited group of people who are really just their friends on a convenient time, and we, they're like, that's kind of my church. I say, no, that's kind of your friends. That's kind of a very exclusive club of eight of you. That's not a church. A church has open doors or an open parking lot that welcomes everybody in and says, how can we be here for you? How can we welcome you into the body and the love of Jesus Christ? The church is the bride of Christ, the church is the body of Christ, and thirdly, the church is the family of God. 1 Peter 2, 17. Actually, I'm going to jump up a little bit and start in verse... Oh, there goes my bookmark. Start in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. By the way, next week... You're going to see this word submit we're talking about a lot. We're going to talk about that next week in our relationship with the church. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The family of believers. I have a lot of experience of being part of a big family. 
I don't want. I don't try to mention it all the time. But as we're talking about this, I'm in the middle of seven kids, six boys, one girl. I absolutely love my family, and my family is the furthest thing from perfect that there is. My uncle, who passed away just a couple weeks before um, the lockdown happened. Uh, he would always tell me, he was 92 years old, and he'd always tell me, uh, Rob, and he'd tell all my siblings this individually, he says, I've seen a lot of people in life. He says, but I don't know, uh, I don't know many families with, uh, that are as big as yours who always are there for each other and love each other as much as you guys do in your 40s and 50s. And it's true, I've had several siblings and, and even myself go through very difficult times and financial difficult times and marriage difficult times, and we're always there for each other. We're always there to pick each other up. And sometimes we've made really stupid decisions on our own doing. And my siblings are there. And sometimes my siblings make really stupid decisions of their own choosing. And we're there for them. And I think we're in a, a bad habit of when somebody messes up, we kind of turn our back or we, we don't want them to do anymore. And it's kind of how do we pass them off to somebody else. But if we're part of the family of God, there's no getting out of it. We're there for each other. We're there to be there when, when something went wrong. We're there when something goes right. Uh, Jonathan Lehman, who's an author who's written extensively on, on the church, he says, once you choose Christ, you must choose his people too. It's a package deal. Choose the father and the son, and you have to choose the whole family, which you do through a local church. When we have people in the church, we are in it together. When we're here and we come together to worship, that's just the one time that we're all together. But through the week, we should be constantly encouraging each other, praying for each other, and being there for each other. Last week, we talked about the mission of God is to call all people to himself. So as we carry out this mission, we do not get to choose who is part of it with us. That is up to God. A family is a group of people that are in it for the long haul with each other. Maybe you saw the story this last year. Um, I didn't actually see it. My one brother told it to me because apparently somebody texted a grandmother and it wasn't who they meant to text and she invited her to Thanksgiving. They've been getting together for Thanksgiving for however many years. Well, we kind of had something like that happen this year. An aunt and uncle um, sent a group text of my cousins and all their kids being together to who they thought were all my siblings. And they, in fact, included one of my brother's numbers. That was his number years ago. And then it was this long, you know how it is. I always tell people I've never been kidnapped, but I've been in a lot of group text messages. They, this just started, and, and all of a sudden, finally, this number pops up that I didn't even have saved. And it says, wow, you all seem like such a nice family. And it's been neat finding out about you, but... Can you please remove me from this group text? I don't know who you are. And if you know anything about me or my family, it's once you ask us to stop talking, we can't stop. We just accelerate. And so my one brother is like, hey, we are a great family. You want to join us? Like, we're located all over the country. And it just one after another, um, they never responded. I think they were very scared at that point. But that's how it is with the family of God, is it is a constant open invitation to people to join. That because of the work that Jesus did, that's who we're pointing people to, and we are welcoming them in. We're always welcoming people into the family. Ed Welch, another one of my favorite authors, writes, In our battles with sin, we need a team of people. 
We need teachers to help us understand scripture, prophets to help us apply it, interceders to pray for us, preachers to focus our eyes on Christ, encouragers to remind us of God's grace when we feel like failures, wise men and women to discern when we are making foolish decisions, and people of faith to tell us that everything God has said is true in Christ. In other words, God's gifts to us are people, not just one person, but the church. This is how Christ meets us. The reason we need so many people is that we need Christ himself. Since his glory and gifts are so immense, we need many people, not just an individual person. I hear people say all the time, I'm an extreme extrovert if you don't know that about me. So to be around, when I walk into like a coffee shop full of people, I'm like, wow, we're all going to be best friends really soon. But for some people, that is a nightmare. To walk into a room that has more than two people in it is too many. And I understand. But with a family of God, we need each other. The more, the merrier. But as you grow, you're also bringing people in who have burdens and baggages. When we help each other out and we're there for each other and we, we put someone's arm over our shoulders and we put our arm over their shoulders, we must understand that Sometimes we help them, but there's going to be times where we're getting help as well. We have friends that are uh, moving here in the next couple months. Um, and Will and I were talking, and Will says, have you warned them that when you move here to help with the church, something always goes horribly wrong? And we kind of laugh about it, and, and going back, um, this month we're actually celebrating five years as a church. I think I was supposed to mention that, like, last week. forgot to. Yeah, we're five years old as a church. We've been here at Fellowship of Oak for five years. We're actually doing like a birthday party the last week of this month. Uh, we're going to have like a birthday cake and decorations and I don't know. Will, can you get a pony? We'll do pony rides or something. But we're uh, excited, and, but we're thinking back on the first year of people moving here to be part of the core team of our church and just one by one things that just seem to go wrong constantly car accidents and furniture not showing up for a month and uh, fires, uh, house fires. and I mean, you'd name it. It was just constant. Something was happening. But I think what that did is it made us rely on each other so much more. And so when something comes, when somebody's moving here and they're like, well, I'm really nervous. And I was like, trust me, if it's one thing our church does, it's take care of each other because we have a lot of experience in it. So we're always welcoming people in. Even the, the people, some of the things that we can do for people that don't know Christ is treat them as family and welcome them in. So we need each other. There's several books written, and I may have said this before, my father gave me a ton of his books from the years, books that were given to him, books going back to like the 30s and 40s. And every generation or every couple years... There's a book that comes out that says this is what's going to ruin the church in America. And it changes every year, every five years. And I've gotten to the point where I just kind of laugh at it and remember Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Please understand, that means that the, the hell, the gates would be blocking the kingdom of hell, would be blocking Satan's kingdom. They're on the defensive. We have the power of the Almighty God. We are on the offensive. We are on the attack. 
And Jesus made the promise that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the gospel. Jesus said, I am the light and the light can, the darkness cannot overcome the light. We operate like we're being defensive, but we are on the offense. We are in, not necessarily us in the driver's seat, Jesus in the driver's seat. We partner with him in his mission and he will be victorious. What I believe is that when the church stops functioning as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ and as the family of God, that is when we are no longer a church and it's not that something else is going to destroy the church of God, it's that we just cease to become a church. Our vision statement is, Hope Church exists to glorify God, build his kingdom, and fulfill the Great Commission. We use the wording very carefully because once we stop trying to fulfill the Great Commission, once we stop trying to glorify God in the first thing that we do, no matter what we do, and once we forget to build the kingdom first, we're no longer a church. We're a social club. We start to build our own kingdom and not God's. We've said it before, but once we try to make ourselves look awesome, we cannot make God look awesome and ourselves look awesome at the same time. It's one or the other. When we look at Christ and what he did for us, when we look at his promise that we are on the offensive and the gates of hell cannot hold back the gospel of Jesus Christ, When we understand that all Jesus did for us, that he is this loving husband, the head of his marriage, that he is the head of his body and what he sacrificed for us and gave us gifts and abilities and talents to be used for his glory, that we are welcomed into this family of believers who are there for each other to carry each other's burdens. We realize how much we need the church, how much we need to operate as this functioning part of his church. There is a pastor in the Washington, D.C. area. He grew up uh, uh, Muslim and came to know Christ, and now he's a pastor, and I'm going to try to pronounce his name. It is Thabiti Anyabwali, or possibly many other ways you can say it. But he writes, We desperately need the church for love, for maturity and preparedness, for spiritual care. It is arrogant rebellious, self-reliant, God-indicting pride to conclude that the church is an option, optional extra to the Christian life. We need everything God designs for us, everything. To reject what God designs for his glory and our good is spiritual suicide. To reject the church is to take your own spiritual life. Church, I'm so glad that you're here. If you're here this evening and you have never made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and leader of your life, that is the message that we want you to hear tonight, that you are loved, that you are cared for, that everything that needs to be done was taken care of by Jesus Christ, and you can be in that relationship with him. But if you're here tonight and you've already made that decision, the question is, moving forward, what does this year look like? What does this coming year look like differently? How are you approaching your life in relation to the church? Does the church have a top priority or is it something that you just do when it's convenient? Are you a functioning member? Are you using your talents, your gifts, your abilities, and your resources to fulfill pointing people to the glory of God? How are you operating where you learn, live, work, and play? 
So next week we'll talk about our individual mission from God. Because I believe that all of us have an individual mission, that God designed each and every person to be a professional at how he designed you to be. That God allowed you, I'm not going to get into next week's message. But I'm so glad that you're here. Whether this is your church or you're just a guest or you're looking, that is an animal of some kind. Oh, nice. Where's our owl friend? Come take care of that. One of the things that we want to do this year, as I mentioned, is collaborate more with other churches. And again, as I've said last week, we don't know what that looks like yet, but we're really excited for it. We've been talking to pastors just this last week of saying, how do we make an impact in our community? When we were first planting, Neil McGlowan said, if your church shut its doors this week, would anybody in your community notice? How are you making an impact in your community for the glory of God? Not the glory of your church, but the glory of the bride of Christ, the glory of the body of Christ, the glory from the family of God pointing everyone to Christ. And so if you know ways to help, if you know of other churches, if you're part of another church, we want to know. We want to serve this community together. Before we close, I'm going to ask you again right where you are, why don't you take just two minutes? It's, our lives are busy. I want you to take two minutes and just where you are right now, I want you to pray and talk to God. I want you to pray and say, God, what do you have for me this year? What do you have for me this week? God, in what ways are you working that you want me to glorify your name in my everyday life? So let's go to prayer in a couple minutes. I will close.